I stop? His flag's up. I thought you all stopped for each other. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute presents Waterworld H2O Minutes at a Time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about minutes 79 and 80, which begin with a firm and ripened tomato and end with a shabby drifter shifting uneasily. Our guests this week are Nathan and Jenny, our friends from real life who don't podcast. (laughs) Hey there, folks. Hi, I'm Jenny. Yeah, hi. Hi. Nailed it. I am always delighted when we're able to bring you on our show, because as I mentioned, you don't participate in this really weird hobby of ours, and it's great to hear outside opinions. As far as Waterworld is concerned, cast your minds back to 1995. What do you remember about this movie? When was the last time you watched it? You go first, babe. Well, I was going to say, I know Jenny has more of a recollection of 1995 than I do, as I was a... Subtle, babe, subtle. Hi, I'm old. Hi, everyone. (laughs) Yes. Although I was eight years old when this movie came out. Oh, my God. That's fine. (laughs) It was definitely one of my favorites on the old sci-fi channel rewind days that they would have, where they would just play these B-movies over and over, so... I don't think I've seen Waterworld probably in over a decade, but before that, I definitely feel like it was on a bi-monthly watch basis for me. It was common. Wow. I didn't know that about you. I mean, it was right in there between uh, <laughs> Hercules's Legendary Journeys and Xena Warrior Princess, so... Huh. Yep. Huh. All right. Well... I was 13 and was very busy doing 13-year-old things, which was not watching Waterworld. I'm pretty sure 1995 was the same year Clueless came out, which is definitely what I was watching. So I have actually never seen this movie at all. Still haven't. I've seen two (laughs) minutes of this movie. (laughs) These, These two minutes. So with all the advertising they did for this movie, you weren't drawn in by the rugged <laughs> I, handsomeness of I Kevin was Costner? not their demographic, friend. 13-year-old <laughs> girls are not the demographic for this movie. I don't, I don't know. I don't, for I mean, sweaty, dirty Kevin Costner. <laughs> in, in fairness, like, I, even now, Kevin Costner was like, he's he's an old man. Like, he, oh, like, I was 13. Kevin Costner was not for me. Kevin Costner was for my mom. Like, that's not... <laughs> I was very busy with Jonathan Taylor Thomas, so Kevin Costner, not on my Who list. was Quigley Down Under? Who were we saying? Oh, was Tom Selleck. Tom, Tom Selleck, Selleck is another one that was like, that was yep. for our moms. He's handsome, but in like, you know, like someone else's dad. Can we imagine way. Waterworld except redone with Tom Selleck? <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, that's something else I have in common with Monica because I am perfectly <laughs> fine with Tom Selleck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was definitely more in the teeny bopper crowd. So, um, no, I don't, I don't know this movie at all. I don't want to imagine Tom Selleck having to work with his mustache being weighed down by salt water. Mm, true. Oh, salt water would not so do good things dripping. for that hair. Yeah. See, that's why you got to go with somebody like Jonathan Taylor Thomas. <laughs> no <laughs> incapable of facial hair. Of facial hair. <laughs> Sle- sleek and hairless as they come. <laughs> like a dolphin. <laughs> If you had remade this movie with Jonathan Taylor Thomas, then I, as a 13-year-old girl, may have seen this movie. (laughs) Yeah, but it would have been like, Waterworld with Jonathan Taylor Thomas would have been like a Disney original movie instead. Yeah, hell yeah. I would have been all about it. I'm having visions of Shark Boy and Lava Girl. (laughs) Shark Boy ended up being Jacob from the Twilight Saga. Yes, he did. So... If if you guys ever decide to go into that niche, of <laughs> <laughs> we'll call you Jenny for, oh for my expert God. input. I'm yeah. sure that there is a twilight breakdown, and I need to find those people. <laughs> Help me find them, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> we'll Why find of... the people when you could lead the charge? Yeah, you could just 
don't dream it, be it. Yeah. Oh my God, I could do that. Anyway. Yeah. Speaking of being things, really this clip that we're watching today is 75% Kevin Costner plucking a tomato, cutting it up into pieces, and eating it. Meanwhile, Helen and Enola sit in the background eyeing this small piece of fruit. Is a fruit or a vegetable? I should probably have known this. Oh, that gets into a whole bunch uh-huh. of That's a right whole thing. There. Okay, we'll get into that later then. There's contention. Because... Porter knows all about it. They're just <laughs> sitting there watching and he eats it all. And it's incredibly... I don't want to say boring to watch. It's got layers to it. There's Nuance, definitely a lot of acting going on while like this tomato onion. is being eaten. Certainly. What's not interesting about it is the analysis of it. So I decided to do something different, and this is partly why I called in Porter and Jenny for this, because we're going to break from our normal format and instead crib the format of No Such Thing as a Fish, where they come together, four hosts, and they share their favorite facts from researching for the show that they all write for. And I figured, hey, you know, we're each going to find a tomato fact, and we're going to share it with each other and talk about it. Julia, would you like to get us kicked off with your tomato fact? Sure. My tomato fact stems from the... That was not on purpose. (laughs) Stems from the mild controversy of whether or not tomatoes are poisonous. Because they come from the same family as nightshade, which is highly poisonous. So some sources say that for a very long time, society wouldn't consume tomatoes because they thought that they were poisonous. And then other sources say... No, we've known for a long time that they're not poisonous. So that's debatable. But my fact is about a gentleman by the name of Robert Gibbon Johnson, who lived in Salem, New Jersey, because of course there's a Salem, New Jersey, because there's a Salem every other state. So Salem, New Jersey. This took place in 1820. Now, caveat, the story, the source story is apocryphal. It probably happened in some form, but greatly embellished over time. So the story, as I understand it, is that this man, Colonel Johnson, was a horticulturist, among other things, and a historian and whatnot, farmer, yada, 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 wanted to prove that tomatoes were not poisonous. So he marched himself down to the steps of the courthouse, and in front of everybody, in front of the crowd, he ate a tomato. And things got embellished enough to say, like, there was a band playing. This was a communal event. (laughs) There was even a doctor standing by to aid him in his demise, to make his passing more comfortable, because everybody was so sure that he was going to die. The apocryphal story goes that he did this, he didn't die, and people started eating tomatoes. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) What I know for a fact, though is that the town of Salem, New Jersey, back in the 1980s, on an annual basis, had a reenactment of this scene (laughs) on the steps of the courthouse. That is beautiful. Where they would reenact the eating of a tomato. Oh my God. There is even, and I will post this in the listener group, there is even a commemorative t-shirt. What? Is this available for purchase? There is one available. Oh. It's on Etsy. Oh, my God. It is a youth size large, and it's yeah. $43. For your tomato purchases. Yeah. I'm very amused that Julia brought up this fact because I, too, read about the history of this epic tomato eating. It is not my tomato fact, but I did come across it. And also all about how they were considered poisonous because I think in conjunction with how they share the family with Deadly Nightshade, their Latin name is translated to Wolf Peach. Wolf I think. Peach. Wolf Peach. Yes. That is such yes. a badass name. Right? Yeah. Why didn't that stick around? Because it does look a lot like a peach. It's a red version of a peach. Yeah. That's true. Right down to the whole like buttocks thing. Although originally they were yellow. Why is it a wolf thing? I did read about this. I think it had something to do with the night part of Nightshade. Mm. Like the deadly part. It's because it's lichen, Okay, I think, is part of what nightshade comes from. So it's part of that creature of the night. Yeah, because okay. part of the really good stuff that's in tomatoes that makes them good for you is lycopene. Yes. Oh, okay. Right. That's yeah. why. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that word. It's really <laughs> healthy for men's prostates. 
It's not why I've heard that word. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I mean, maybe, but like, I don't know why my brain would be like, that's important for me to keep in my head. <laughs> but no, part of that too, Julia. So the fear around it was a lot to do with fresh tomatoes. And because people were unsure about how to prepare tomatoes, tomatoes in, at least in the U.S., where people somehow still thought they were poisonous, were treated more as canned and preserved things long before they were really popular as a produce item. So your ketchups, your tomato sauces, your Campbell's tomato soup took off long before people really started having freshly sliced tomatoes on their salad. I'm so surprised. All because of that fear poison. That people in New Jersey where I always assume there is a large Italian community, yeah. would be afraid of using tomatoes when you think that... I'm not going to say that the bedrock of Italian cooking is the tomato, no, because obviously is. that's pasta. Like uh, I think, I think the pasta American is the vessel. You have to have one. You have to have them both. You can't have one without the other. But is it the bedrock of Italian or the bedrock of American Italiano? No, Which it's is different both. than core Italian. Because the vineyards in Italy are just like, they're all about their, their tomatoes, their tomato growing. I mean, tomato, I thought the vineyards would have been about but Tomatoes about in Europe are a relatively recent thing. They That's were an true. American thing That's that true. Columbus took back and mm. his ilk. Because tomatoes, I think, originated in Peru? Yeah, South American. Yes. Yep, oh. they're a South Mexican, oh. South American food that managed to kind of come up into the Americas and then be co-opted by Europe. So Europe, I thought, was more into the pastas and the olive oils and the grapes. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Because there was a lot of olive-based cooking. So I think, and this, now I want to go on a history of Italian cooking, like, is pesto <laughs> truly the original sauce? Mm. Whereas we're like, Ooh. no, tomato, Alfredo. That's a good question. Cause, what cause is we like that now. the original sauce? Honestly, just a trip through the history of Italian cooking mm. in no and of itself. About this. Like, I'm not upset with it. I'm totally on board for the idea of it. Absolutely. Yeah. We just gotta find a movie to match it. I mean, you say movie, I say restaurant. <laughs> 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 oh, both. Mystic Pizza. Oh, yeah. I, you oh, know yeah. What? It's been in done, but you know. Interesting thing, yeah. Uh, Mystic Pizza has been done minute by minute already. <laughs> Twilight has it, but but Mystic Pizza has. <laughs> okay, I can understand why people in New Jersey were worried about something in the Nightshade family killing, because I was just looking it up, like, how deadly is deadly Nightshade? Two berries can kill a child who eats them. It does take 10 to 20 Nightshade berries to kill an adult, but still, like, that's a handful. That's what Nightlock is based on in Hunger Games. It's yeah, it's, it's based on Nightshade, right? Nightshade. Yeah. Which is why you don't go traipsing through the woods eating everything you see on the floor. Right, right, right. It's a bad move. Yep. Core right. Boy Scout knowledge. Do not eat them unless you know what they are. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Well, I'm going to launch in here and talk about my tomato fact, which actually kind of uh, builds on Julia's mm -hmm. theatrical base. I actually uh, wanted to know what the basis of uh, throwing tomatoes was, you know, because you see, you see the trope of, you know, tomatoes being thrown at actors and musicians, you know, boo, throw the tomato. Where, where, did, where did that come from? Why did we start doing that? So the first reference of throwing produce predated the tomato entirely. So the first piece of produce that was recorded to have been thrown was turnips. Oh. And it was thrown at oh. Caesar Augustus during a riot. And that's what actually killed him. Yeah, I was going to say, because if anyone here has ever tried to cut a turnip in half, yeah, right? that is a very hard vegetable. Okay, I would like to point out that they were rotten turnips, so they probably had a little bit of squish to them, oh. you know? Like, not better, just different. I was going to say, I still imagine them having the heft of a squash. But then, okay, at this point, too, it's AD 63. Maybe our version of turnips and AD 63's version of turnips may be a little bit different. True. Maybe they're smaller, like <laughs> apple size. Maybe they're more tomato adjacent than we remember. Who knows? Rotten eggs, obviously, were a weapon that was used in a pre-tomato existence. But really, what made the tomato come into its own, becoming ripe, as you will, <laughs> is 
that they became really prevalent and they became really common. So really the fact that they were throwing rotten eggs and throwing turnips had less to do with anything tactical about them, but just how available they were. So once tomatoes became like readily available, their size and how easily they could be gripped, it made sense that tomatoes would become the main rotten vegetable throwing. So the first recorded act of this was in 1883. It was John Ritchie was hit with a barrage of tomatoes and rotten eggs in New York. And here's the quote. (laughs) A large tomato thrown from the gallery struck him square between the eyes and he fell to the stage floor just as several bad eggs dropped upon his head. (laughs) (laughs) And so tomato throwing, it remained kind of a standard for audience participation. But then, you know, as we kind of grew as a society we stopped doing that i think we should bring it back i think that we need more of this kind of constant like feedback yeah <laughs> my backup fact was not as interesting and not really directly to, to to tomatoes but it did get me on an offshoot it taught me that rotten tomatoes the website was originally designed because this dude was obsessed with jackie chan movies <laughs> and all he wanted to do was just have a whole file system of all the reviews that were ever given to jackie chan movies and then he expanded past that but that's the origination of Rotten Tomatoes, the website. Oh, that's beautiful. That's good to know. You know, that wasn't like enough to fill a slot, but that's important information I feel like people need to know. No, my brain needed that. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I need that fact for just internet talk. Yeah. Do y'all remember the Hunchback of Notre Dame, the Disney movie with the really depressing start? I am deformed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a scene in there during the Feast of Fools when everybody realized, holy crap, this guy isn't wearing a mask. Let's, you know, pelt him with food. In that scene, they're throwing tomatoes at him. See, that is historically inaccurate. That is, yeah. that is inaccurate. Because that <laughs> no. movie takes place in 1830s. Yeah, they weren't prevalent yet. They didn't have tomatoes. <laughs> now, it doesn't say anything about like what the class divide said. You know what I mean? Like Maybe there were like rich people that were just like throwing away their tomatoes like i'm rich enough to throw tomatoes at you like it could have been like a status symbol to have a tomato to just i have this tomato i don't even need to eat it i can just throw it nowadays it would be a symbol of look at all these aspirational vegetables i bought and didn't use so now they're rotten throwing at you (laughs) right this gallows trip brought to you by misfit market (laughs) (laughs) so we should really get that I really want to get it. Do you guys have that? The Misfit no, Market? I've been no. looking at it. We are not. Oh, God. We're not vegetable eaters. It I would, know. I, but I want to be, right? Exactly. I want to be. I want to, and I want to support their mission. Yeah. And I want to, like, save the produce. sad vegetables, right? Yeah. <laughs> it feeds my empathy. And, like, it's like, oh, I have to save them. Rick, do you know the story of Misfit Market? Now, Misfit Market, isn't that the one where the fruits and vegetables are not attractive looking it's just the ugly produce yeah yeah the grocery stores don't want that it's still perfectly usable there's nothing wrong with it if anything like sometimes they're just like extra epic like yeah wow this is this is a really large apple but it's cool because i'm gonna make a pie out of one apple Right. I will still remember the potatoes that I got for the St. Patty's potato bar where some of them were just too gargantuan to use. (laughs) Sorry, are you remembering a time where there was people? No, I'm remembering a time where there was corned beef. I know we don't try to remember. (laughs) I have to wonder, obviously the practice of throwing tomatoes onto a stage as a way to show displeasure with a performance has fallen out of style. You don't see it happen in community theater or in high school theater or anything like that. I know that there were definitely times where I was sitting in that setting where I was thinking this would be vastly improved by <laughs> audience <laughs> participation. That sort of audience that's participation. What it is. Like that's not I'm not saying bring back the throwing of vegetables. I'm saying bring back the time of audience participatory. Like Rocky Horror theater. Picture showings exactly. where they're well, inter exactly, but- but, like, but an interactive audience experience. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Because that actually, that they do throw tomatoes at the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Like, 
there's a part where That's they throw true. into tomatoes. I don't remember when, but I know that it's sometime. I remember all those stories of people who went to the Globe Theater to hear a Shakespeare play, and the crowd would shout back at the actors. Yeah. And the actors would in turn shout back at the audience, like mid-show. Like, that sounds right. fun. <laughs> I would enjoy that. That's why shadow casts think... of Rocky Horror are so popular. Yeah, I think that you would like to go, honey, but I think you would like to be in the back. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I know what I want to be. I want to be the guy that works there afterwards that cleans the stage up and cleans up all the tomatoes. Because someone's got to do that. That's usually my job to bring everyone down. (laughs) No, no, I don't want to bring anyone down. You all have fun. Do the show. I'll clean up the tomatoes after. It's a great time. That is your happy place. Exactly. It's cleaning. It's lovely. And no one's going to call on you to do improv in front of lots of people. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, my nightmare. Exactly. See, I totally would get into that. I think that would be super fun. Now, Rick, at the start of this, you referred to a tomato as a vegetable. Yeah. Now, the thing is, you're not wrong. And talking about New Jersey, as Julia brought up, the tomato is the state vegetable of New Jersey. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Following on that, that is the, it is the state vegetable of New Jersey. However, it is also the state fruit of Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> and this is because, because this is my fact uh, that, that you've both set me up for in lovely fashion. Botanically, a tomato is a... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That sounds like canonically. <laughs> canonically. <laughs> Exactly. And they both work like, botanically. Well, this is where we're going to go with science versus democracy. Science <laughs> says that tomato Cannon. is a fruit. It is canonically <laughs> a canonical. berry. Okay. A tomato is canonically a berry. Interesting. However, in 1887, the U.S. imposed tariff laws on vegetables. But because tomatoes, being a fruit, circumvented this, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in the case of Nix versus Hidden that tomatoes were to be considered vegetables based on the popular definition that classifies vegetables by use, where they are served with dinner, not as dessert. But because tomatoes were typically served with dinner, they were classified as a vegetable for taxation. That is a Donald Trump law if I have ever heard. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I love that the Supreme Court made this judgment, which means they were willing to hear a case about tomatoes. But exactly. once it comes down to the 2020 election, they're like, nope. <laughs> Hands off. I'm not touching that one. <laughs> we won't touch abortion, but we will touch tomatoes and whether they are fruits oh or vegetables. Okay. Speaking of that, I'm looking at a page talking about tomatoes and fruits and vegetables and stuff like that. And they say in this sentence, like you said before, botanically, a fruit is a ripened flower ovary and contains seeds. Tomatoes, plums, zucchinis, and melons are all edible fruits, but things like maple helicopters, quote unquote, and floating dandelion puffs are fruits as well. Oh, so when you pick up a dandelion and you blow on it and all the little things float away, that's a bunch of fruits. So those videos of dogs and little kids eating the dandelion puffs instead of blowing them is yeah. them just having a healthy snack? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Also murdering that plant's predictive form of reproduction. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> if we want to look at it that way. Until they poop it out randomly in the woods. Exactly, mm-hmm. because seeds are very robust, and that is mm-hmm. another way that plants can spread their love. If anything, they fertilized it. Like they oh, made it you actually... Yeah, that's no, what we should they, all that's eat dandelions flowers, and poop them out. Yeah, that's what flowers and attractive fruit is for. It's yeah, for it's cycle spreading of out their seed. Mm-hmm. They make themselves yummy on purpose. Now, I have a question. How do people actually feel about tomatoes? Because, like, tomato is such a varied thing. Fruit, vegetable, neither here nor there. It is a varied taste and texture option. How does everyone like their tomatoes best? Like, what is the best incarnation of tomato in a in a food not even all on its own but what is your favorite way to consume something with tomato as part of or in it definitely pasta sauce mm. i love a good pasta with sauce and meatballs dish yeah I, i'm not picky about the shape of the pasta it's all the same to me because i'm a dirty american <laughs> <laughs> but that classic tomato-y sauce is what yes you like well seasoned nice and 
you know, what I think of as Italian. Yeah. See, I like tomatoes like sliced in a sandwich, whether that's a burger or a sub or anything like that. Which I feel like some people don't. The texture is not for everyone. It's hit or miss for me. It does add a lot of moisture for sure. Yeah, but sandwiches tend to be dry anyways, hence mayo. Yeah. Which I am a huge fan of mayo. I love it. But people who aren't need that moisture. Tomatoes are a good source of it. Although when you get into the perfectly crafted thing that is mayo on a perfect BLT, and this is, I think, where it gets to me is I'm picky on how good my tomato is when Mm. eating a fresh tomato. Because if that tomato is in any way soft or smushy, it needs to have that right level of ripe but not too ripe. Mine is sauce and pizza probably is my thing. It's a consistency thing. I think that why sauce is better is because not only is it is it a consistency thing, but it's also a constant consistency. Like I always know that pizza sauce is going to taste a certain way, whereas a raw tomato, it's like, well, there's a lot of var- there's a there's, lot of variation. There's risk in raw produce. <laughs> there's risk in raw produce, whereas something that's from a can, I know exactly what it's going to taste like every single time. Yeah, uh-huh. there's a standardization provided out of a can. I want to be mad, but I'm wondering if my peak tomato consumption is actually via ketchup as it is the safest vehicle. Oh, <laughs> I do. You know what? I don't even think of ketchup like but readily if you think about it, as it's a tomato, tomato product because I adore ketchup. Ugh, no. <laughs> yeah, and, no. and I am the I only one here so that much. really eats it. I eat it on like so few things. I like it on a hot dog. That's about it. Yeah. You don't even do really ketchup on your burgers unless it's already applied. Yeah. I'll eat it if somebody already put it on there, but I won't really enjoy it. I'll just deal with it. (laughs) I don't get ketchup on my burgers because I'm a dipper. I like dipping my burger in ketchup. My dad used to put ketchup on his scrambled eggs which i was always like revolted by i have done that in the past yep i am a ketchup on eggs i'm not feeling it right now this is the different ways tomatoes go for people and that's why i think it's a cool vegetable slash fruit yeah i don't think it has anything to do with the tomato it's all the vinegar i don't mm. like vinegar so yeah oh gross for me because i don't like vinegar yeah as far as like fresh tomatoes are concerned if you've got like a good ripe tomato that's got a nice firmness to it you've cut that into slices like i'll grab the salt off the counter and i'll really? just hit it just straight regular tomato hit it with a little bit of ground salt pop that totally. yeah it's yeah, no, a good, good tomato like if yeah. i know that the tomato is going to be perfect raw tomato is amazing i agree i actually don't go for it i do like raw tomatoes if they're of a pleasing consistency mm-hmm. mm. yeah even then i'd still go for carrots or broccoli well, that's not what we're talking about right now. So <laughs> I'm just imagining a fruit platter. I mean, it's been a while since I've seen that someone just put up a slice of tomatoes with some salt on them. Cherry tomatoes come on veggie trays all the time. Mm-hmm. That's true. And I don't eat them. They're oh. like they're well, like they're... grapes, but not. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> <laughs> you do have grape tomatoes and cherry tomatoes. It's a mirrored grape, yeah. like a grape on the other side of the flavor. See, now I'm imagining, though, the loveliness that is a big slice of quality tomato, a slice of mozzarella, good buffalo mozzarella, and then a little balsamic drizzle over the top and having a caprice salad with a little basil. Now, that is actually something I very much enjoy. Because you put vinegar on it. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it kills it for you. (laughs) That balsamic is just like, nope. If a cherry tomato is on the opposite side of the spectrum as a grape, does that mean yep. ketchup is on the opposite side of the spectrum as wine? Or is it in the opposite spectrum of jelly? jelly. Yeah, I was I was going to go with jelly. jelly. Oh, okay. Jelly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> tomato juice would be on the opposite. Tomato juice of... would be would be wine, but if you're going to talk about something spreadable Wait. like ketchup, <laughs> now it's jelly. Is there a fermented tomato juice? That's like, what I was thinking about, like a bloody mary. Oh, that's probably what it would be. Yeah. Because you get grape juice and tomato juice. Yeah. And that's like the opposite of like a mimosa, (laughs) which is, yeah, makes sense because those are your two breakfast drinks. Breakfast cocktails. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You got your sweet and your savory. So you can have your. Oh, so you get your. Oh, and that vinegar in your cup. (laughs) This makes sense to all the savory drinkers out of there. I think about people like our friend Paxson, who very much likes a Bloody Mary. He's not a sweet person. He does not like sweet drinks. He would not probably enjoy the drink that Julie and I like, 
which is a blueberry lemonade mm-hmm. that is delightful. Yes. He one time made like a beet juice and vodka. It was so what? gross. It was so gross. It tasted like a booze salad in well, a glass. I challenged him to make a pink drink that he would like. Because oh. anytime that I visited, any drink that he made me was just, it was always pink because I liked things that were very, very sweet. So I challenged him to make a pink drink that was savory. And he was like, all right. <laughs> and he did. And I'm pretty sure the juice that he used was like a beet juice blend. It was very gross, but he did it. And it was gross. Well, since it's May and things are looking up right now. <laughs> it's my uh, birthday soon. <laughs> Jenny's birthday soon. We should okay. all plan a get together where we show off our tomato creations. Ooh, that oh, oh, you're fun. projecting Ooh. this that we will be visiting in May. This is excellent. <laughs> in May, because it's May now and things are better. Oh, that's so great! You're, it is no, May you're now right. and things are better. Oh, wow! I love wow. your optimism, Porter. I love it. <laughs> We've been to so many places. <laughs> <laughs> this is me enjoying the power of time travel and podcasting. So, so many stores. <laughs> I know Rick may have some editing, and I apologize. So this is not my fact, but I wanted to springboard off of the question, is tomato wine a thing? Okay, yes. Now I'm very curious. I found a blog post from EdibleRoadTrip.com from back in 2014, and the title of the blog post is, Yes, Tomato Wine is Real. Excellent. (laughs) No clickbait here. (laughs) The question is, is it red and is it gross? And the answer to those questions is no and no. So... Tomatoes don't have tannins, so they make a white wine instead okay. of you. Know, you assume because oh, tomatoes are red, it would be, that it a, would be a red sweeter wine, wine too. Yeah. it's not going to be dry. It's going to be a sweet white wine. And apparently, it's made. And I don't want to say it's only made, but it is made by a vineyard called Omerto in Bay Saint Paul, up in Quebec. And so this guy has a bunch of heirloom tomatoes that he grows and he makes wine out of them and you can buy them from his official website i may have buy you us checked a out bottle. yet like <laughs> buy it <laughs> so guys i am researching this i am going to take this as my homework from this podcast to potentially see acquire and try this wine as the wine drinker among us I've been playing a lot of Sims, you guys, like so so much, and I bought like all the expansion packs, and I've been just like thinking of cre- of, of characters that I'm going to play next, and I'm going to totally make a tomato farmer that makes their own wine. <laughs> I'm really excited that is about beautiful. this. Beautiful. <laughs> I'm going to get the vineyard, and then I'm going to get the wine making stuff, and then I'm just going to sell it, it like it on my shop on my shop. All right. So if you go to omerto.com, you can go into the store section. A 750 milliliter bottle of Omerto Sec is only $30. Okay, I can do this. 16% alcohol by volume, six kinds of ancestral tomatoes, (laughs) hand-picked. I didn't translate, so I am checking out in Italian or French. I think this is French. (laughs) I might need to let let me convert this to English because I cannot check out in French. (laughs) Here we go. Sommelier notes. The dry Omerto tomato wine is a beautiful wheat yellow, slightly golden. On the nose, it gives off vegetal aromas such as a sauvignon and citrus fruits such as lemon and grapefruit. On the palate, we have the acidity of the attack, which comes out with a good length and ends with finesse. The rest is a unique and very distinctive taste with hints of grain alcohol. Oh, God! Oh, God! It's okay. I'm ordering one of these. <laughs> Why? Why? They, they're just telling you it's going to taste like Everclear. That's what they just told you. <laughs> I'm going oh. to order us a bottle. You're not, I, like, I, I'm not a drinker, so I don't understand. For the four of us to try, I'm going to order yes. us all a bottle of wine. <laughs> oh, God. I'll let That's you know when it comes in. I am ordering the Amerto Sec, which is... Yep. Okay, I'm I'm asking genuinely. Do you genuinely think you're going to enjoy this? I don't know, but I'm willing to put $30 like, you, you where my mouth is. Ch- you think that there's a chance? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite wine that I think I ever tried was there was this guy in Stark, New Hampshire, who ran a small vineyard up there and made his own wine. But because it was so hard to grow grapes, he experimented a lot with tree-based and sap-based wines. 
And he made one of the best birch tree white wines that I have ever tasted. And because I have enjoyed drinking a birch tree, I am going to try drinking a tomato. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh. I have never enjoyed eating a birch tree, but I enjoyed drinking it. And I have enjoyed eating a tomato, so I think there's a better chance of me enjoying drinking it. Huh. All right. That's fair. It's a fair argument. Given that you're ordering something offline, I think this is a good opportunity for me to springboard into my fact. Yes. Talking about while we're looking in this clip at a rather small tomato, I found some information about the world's largest tomato. Excellent. If you go to burpee.com, you can order seeds for the steakhouse hybrid variety of the beefsteak tomato. I'm sorry, where do you have to go? It's called burpee.com. <laughs> like like the exercise or Yeah, yeah. like the exercise. Okay. Is there any is the site have any relation to the exercise or is it just about tomatoes? Nope, it's all about buying seeds. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, God, I'm dying to know the name history. Like, why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> why did you pick this? Okay, go to burpee.com and get some seeds. Got it. Yep. So tipping the scales at up to three pounds or more. This broad-shouldered tomato titan is bigger than the Big Daddy tomato, which is another style of beefsteak. And it's loaded with true heirloom tomato flavor and head-spinning fragrance. Indeterminate plants produced gorgeous, humongous fruits. As I mentioned, it is a beefsteak-style tomato. The fruit-bearing intervals are indeterminate, so they haven't grown enough of them to say exactly what seasons are best like the relative season to which it produces fruit it's you know anybody's anytime guess. i'm concerned about its shoulders <laughs> it said it was broad shouldered yeah i am very confused i've never heard of any fruit being referred to as broad shouldered where are the shoulders on a tomato so if you imagine that the stem is the head <laughs> Is or this neck. common? Is this common thought? Like, I mean, I'm just looking at the picture. <laughs> <laughs> According to the website, it takes between 75 and 80 days for the fruit to come to full maturity. The overall weight of the yield is 24 to 48 ounces, which is okay. chunky boy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When it comes to growing, you want to make sure these plants get full sun. So if you are on a boat in the middle of a water world, Congratulations, full right. sun. Tomatoes, you got it. Full sun means six hours of direct sun per day. Mm -hmm. And then as far as how much room the plants take up, it rates the spread at 65 to 70 inches. So you're going to need a Whoa. pretty yeah. big planter to produce these tomatoes that are three pounds. <laughs> it's like a five, five and a half foot planter. It's yeah. A big tomato. That's beefy. Wow. Beef steaky. Beef, beef steaky. <laughs> Broad shouldered big steaky. All right. Yep. Wow. Yeah. I was thinking about like how, I don't know if it's a problem anywhere else, but I feel like anybody who grows tomatoes in New England, by the end of the summer, they like, you can't give them away. Yeah. They're just everywhere. So my question for this guy on the boat is like on little cherry tomato, like, come on. You get six hours of sun. You got a big boat. Why only one little tomato? And I haven't seen the rest of it. So like maybe he has other priorities other than keeping his plants alive. <laughs> but I'm guessing he does. I'm guessing he has other things to do than to just tend to his plants. But I just think that his tomatoes have a lot of potential. So sulking and scowling take up Ooh. a lot of energy. They really the do. amount of scowling that he does in that movie. Girl, same. Okay, I get it. From 2 to 3 p.m., we brood. It's actually 3 to 4. I get home from work at 3, so 3 then to 4 brood. is the brooding hour. And don't forget those all-important times, uh, 11 to 1, staring off at the horizon. Like, mm -hmm. cannot yeah. skip that. Right, right. If you look away for a second, well... It'll still be there. <laughs> no, but you need to go and sit and comprehend how much the sun reminds you of your one tomato. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
because that's what it's all about the tomato. Abby did this thing where she bought name stickers for her plants. And so she's gone around and she's named all of her plants. And she has noticed quite a marked improvement in their overall healthiness. So maybe he should name the plant. Well, he didn't even name himself. So Mm. true. How much can you really love yourself if you don't give yourself a name? Right. Yeah. But then again, there is power in a name. And so much. other people can't have power over you due to your name if you don't have one. So it is the most independent tomato plant in all of existence. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it lives on a ship in the middle of an ocean. It is technically also a pirate. <laughs> yes. All right. Before we get back into it real quick, I wanted to include there is a review section. Oh. Of the burpee page that you find the steakhouse oh, potatoes on. I can't on. get over this page name. Why? It has an overall rating of 3.8 out of 5 stars with 102 5-star ratings. The 5-star ratings say things like, oh, it's an amazing produce producer, and it's the best tomato ever. And then you have the 1-star reviews are like, my plants arrived dead. The plants are scrawny. I love the scrawny review because it said, after a long delay, I finally received three stunted scrawny plants. Very leggy, (laughs) as if grown in the dark. (laughs) Oh, these plant growers. That's how you get leggy. They know what they like. You stay in the dark, and then you get leggy. (laughs) Oh, that's the secret? You get leggy in the dark? That's a secret. You got to be in the dark. Okay, I solved it, by the way. Burpee, this is the name of the guy who in 1876... He started the seed company. So oh, it's named okay. after uh, Atley Burpley. That's his name. Atley Burpee. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry, no, buddy. We're keeping the first one. We're keeping the first one. Atley Burpley. I'm so glad he didn't go into <laughs> exercise. Uh, carbonated beverages. Oh, my God. Oh, oh that would have been great. <laughs> Maybe then we would burpee instead of burp. Yeah. <laughs> Focusing back in on the film, I mentioned at the top of this that most of this clip is Helen and Enola watching the Mariner eat this tomato and being so jealous and hungry because they have not eaten in quite a while. If I'm not mistaken, they're doing a slow crawl Mm -hmm. towards him. And I do have to admit, as much as I didn't love the fact that there was a whole tomato scene... I think it's actually done rather well. Like he takes his time over it. He's savoring it. There's a distinct possibility that he's doing it here and now on purpose to spite them. But there's also the possibility that he's just eating his tomato. He does savor him. Until he licks the floor. So I have to admit that while I was watching it, I was feeling the tension and the suspense. And I was noticing the juice left on the boat. And when he licked it, I cheered. Because <laughs> he licked the boat. And it only makes sense. Of course you lick the boat. I mentioned earlier a little bit of salt on your tomato. Make it, it taste better. Yes. Yeah. There's no way that boat ain't salty. I mean, look at its owner. <laughs> so he is salty. the saltiest of all. <laughs> so as the mariner picks up his telescope, he's looking through it, and he spies a drifter in a boat and he's got this flag hanging from one of his lines and it is a green traders flag we had it pointed out earlier in the movie that when the drifters are sailing about they have different flags that mean different things and this is the trading flag and so helen who does not have a telescope asks for clarification you know is this a drifter are we going to stop because the rule amongst the drifters is if you see someone you stop you do a little bit of trading and you go on your way And Helen is very adamant about stopping for this guy. And I love the little insert of the drifter through the telescope pointing up at his flag. Look at the flag. It's under the trade. And we get one of my favorite line reads from Helen from this entire movie. She says to the Mariner, I thought you all stopped for each other. Maybe he has some food. Oh, God. And I love the escalation. I love that escalation in the line read. She is well aware of what he did with those tomatoes, and he does not certain that he got it. <laughs> <laughs> or even that she she just can't contain it anymore. Mm. Yeah. It seems like she's been trying to play nice, and now it's just like 
her patience is just tapping out with the level of hunger going up. She's done. Yeah, my notes say, have a Snickers, Helen. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, if she could have a Snickers, she would absolutely have a Snickers. If she could have a Snickers, she would do that. If she she had a Snickers, it would make her sick. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) The level of sugar in a Snickers. It would absolutely floor her. I remember back in the early seasons of Survivor when they were actually starving. Oh, yeah, when they used to have to deal with that. God, what is wrong with us? <laughs> yeah, we actually starved people for entertainment. Why? <laughs> they would have challenges where they would win plates of food. And inevitably, those people would get sick. Right. Because they were subsisting on leaves and berries and rice for, I don't know, weeks. And then all of a sudden have a super rich, greasy, starchy meal. Yeah. And their bodies were like, uh, nope, nope. <laughs> not doing this. Wow. Not made for this. Can't yep. do. So it got to the point where it was well known. The side effects of winning those particular challenges was well known. And so people would trade the food like, no, I'd rather have a prize. Mm-hmm. Give me a car or a boat or a vacation, anything else. I don't want the food. Right. Wow. Or even something that was more immediate, like, don't give me fish, give me a net, give me... Right, some sort of supply, like, give me five pounds of rice. I'd rather have five pounds of rice and a fishing hook. (laughs) The drifter, yeah, I don't like the look of him. (laughs) You don't like off-brand Robin Williams? I don't. Oof, it's rough. He's just so sleazy looking. But it's like they cast him for his eyes, because they are so luminously blue Mm -hmm. that it's kind of crazy but the rest of him all goodness stops at his eyes because his skin is all scabby and his hair is unkempt and he's got this weird rubber finger covering that he wears in later scenes i don't know if it's in this one specifically because i'm not looking at it right now no no you're right it's like part of a diving glove yeah it's like just the finger of a diving glove. It's like if you go to a Sears catalog and you see a picture <laughs> of Robin Williams and then you're like, oh, I could probably get this for cheaper at Marshall's mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. TJ Maxx or something. And then you would find this guy because he's an interesting dude. It's an off brand. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So he's very, very creepy. And this is not bode well. He's got this manic energy to him. It's very unsettling. Also, all these blue eyes. Out on the ocean with that ocean glare. Oh, that's got to really hurt. I had never realized until my wife, fair blue eyes or, or fair greenish eyes. I don't know. I'm colorblind. She has colored eyes. I don't. <laughs> it's true. She very often, she can't go out without sunglasses. I have gray eyes. They're like really, really pale blue eyes. And I just thought everybody needed sunglasses all the time. And then, uh, you know, I met all these brown eyed people and you're just like, oh, outside's just fine. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I and it's true. Like sunglasses are nice, but I do not need them. I can function. Yeah. It like gives me a headache if I'm outside for more than a couple minutes without sunglasses. So any, they're everywhere. They're everywhere all the time because I can't ever be responsible for knowing where a pair of sunglasses are. So I have to buy them in bulk and stuff them in every crevice. Nate can usually keep track of between two and three pair at any given time. It's an excellent resource. But so my theory with that is light-eyed people, they would be really looking for some proper sun protection for their eyes Mm -hmm. out there on the water like that. So, like, he has very striking eyes. I wonder if he has headaches a lot. Unless he adapts. Yeah. Unless you just, like, if you deal with with it enough, like. If you're outside all the time. Yeah. Yeah, You would get used to it. It's not like mutants are canonical in this movie (laughs) at all. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a little disappointed they don't have sunshade eye covering like you see Mm -hmm. in. Inuit cultures, when they're surrounded right. by snow, they fashion right. those little eye coverings that the have visors the slits on the things. Slits yeah, visors. Yeah. I think that that's something this movie may have missed the mark on. I mm, think yeah. that that totally would be part of the culture. Sunslit visors. Because it would increase your visibility. It would diminish headaches because you know you'd get headaches regardless of what color eyes you have. Sitting out on a boat for that long with no sunglasses? You crazy? Do they squint a lot in this movie? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they do. <laughs> do they? <laughs> like, so Kevin Costner sweat. has squint tan lines. Yeah, like, just wear, oh, just get some sunglasses. It wouldn't be that hard. 
The the slit glasses, they also help certain prescription types. Yeah. So they can also help you see clear because they don't have prescription glasses anymore. Nope. That's one of my biggest thing in post-apocalyptic as a glasses wear. Oh, is I'm like, oh, I, I would need to protect these with my life. Mm. And hope your eyesight doesn't get any worse as you age. Yep. No, otherwise just just become old and blind. You'd have to trade glasses. Mm. Like find somebody else. Oh, that reminds me. It's like hermit crabs. You got to trade Perfect. up your shells. Yeah, you got to trade up your shells. But if they find a shell, but it's not the right size for them, they wait until a hermit crab does come along and it's the right size for them. And then the first one trades up to the newly abandoned shell. Yeah. Yes. These are the glasses thrift shops that will form in the apocalypse. <laughs> yes. As blind people stumble about like, are these better? No, you know what? But that becomes your job. Like you catalog all of them and then like contact people as they like become available. <laughs> like, yeah, I found a negative three and a negative two. That's you, right? <laughs> yeah, come on in. I got them. <laughs> They're pink polka dot, but you don't care about that, right? Yeah, all right. The old saying goes, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. But in the post-apocalypse, whoever <laughs> has the eyeglass grinding machine, yeah. like, that's the king. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Real quick, at the end of the clip, the drifter's talking about, oh, you don't find many people who follow the rules anymore, probably because every drifter we've seen in this movie has been absolute trouble. But the Mariner wants to get this over quick by literally saying, make it quick, what's your business? And that is how we wrap this clip for today. Porter and Jenny, thank you so much for joining us this week. You don't usually have things to promote. <laughs> you know what? Yes, I do. Wear a mask. Wear a mask and uh, stay distance. You know what? I don't care if it's May. It's probably still a thing. So yeah. be smart and follow the rules, whatever they are at this point. Just please, 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 please. That's what I'm promoting. Please be smart. I'm going to wholly endorse that. <laughs> As for us, come back next week where we will see the Mariner find the traitor bereft of resources, the Drifter will board the Trimoran, and the two sailors will sit down to deal. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. Waterworld was written by Peter Rader and David Tuohy, directed by Kevin Reynolds, and presented by Universal Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of danielbatista.com. Our home on the internet is madmaxminute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at madmaxminute. And like us on Facebook by searching madmaxminute and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash madmaxmin. Thank you for joining us for Waterworld episode 40. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>